Limitless Love, January the 8th. Two reasons to forgive. Reading Matthew 5, 44 to 45. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 44, 45. Again, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. But I say unto you, love your enemies. One of the most common obstacles the devil uses to block the pathway of love is the hurt that comes when other people mistreat us. He'll tempt us to keep an account of those suffered wrongs. He'll pressure us to becoming bitter, resentful, and unforgiving. But when he does, we must tell him no. We must choose to drop our offenses, forgive everyone who has harmed us, and let bitterness go. <clears throat> if you suffer serious abuse, you may think that's impossible to do, but it's not. The power to forgive is an awesome power. God has it, and he has given it to you. His power within you will enable you to do it. When you do, no matter how terrible the pain of these experiences may have been, you'll find the love of God is more powerful. As you begin to walk in love and forgiveness, giving up the resentment you harbored against those who hurt you, the love of God will overcome the damage that abuse caused in your life. <clears throat> but, but Mrs. Copeland, you say, the people who mistreated me did something very wrong. I've been miserable for years because of them. Why should I just drop my resentment and let them go free? You should do it, first of all, because Jesus did that for you. Even before you repented and asked him to be your Savior, Jesus went on to the cross and shed his own blood. <clears throat> so you would have to pay the penalty of your own sin. Even though you were guilty, he dropped the charges against you so you could go free. That alone is reason enough for you to forgive others. But there's another reason you should forgive those who have done you wrong because if you don't, you're the one who's going to suffer for it, not the people who hurt you. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. It really doesn't affect the other person at all. And on the other hand, if you forgive and let the love of God flow into that area of your life, it will restore you, spirit, soul, and body. What's more, as you continue to yield to love, you continue to live in victory. So when that devil comes back and tries to bring hurt to you again, that hurt will not be able to gain a place in you. The love of God will completely protect you and keep you free, free, free. Amen. January the 9th. There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the same temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Love is the one commandment of the new covenant. It is the unfailing key to our supernatural success. 
That's why Satan works furiously day in and day out to deceive and pressure us into stepping out of love. He constantly sends situations our way to tempt us to yield to things like selfishness, pride, jealousy, envy, and strife. Of course, none of us likes to think about those things, but the Bible talks about them. And we need to keep in mind what it says. We can't afford to be ignorant of the devil's devices. 2 Corinthians 2.11 Because if we're ignorant or unaware, we're more likely to fall prey to them. We need to study the word, learn what love is and what it is not. So when the devil tempts us, we can quickly recognize his tragedies and say, No, devil, I refuse to do that. Get out in the name of Jesus. When we do that, we make the choice for victory. <clears throat> Some people don't realize that resistant temptation is that simple. Notice I didn't say easy. I said simple, but it is. Okay, let's try that again. Let's all say it. We need to study the word, learn what love is and what it is not. So when the devil tempts us, we can quickly recognize his strategies, tra- strategies and say, No, devil, I refuse to do that. Get out in the name of Jesus. When we do that, we make a choice for victory. Temptation is nothing more than a solicitation to the the devil to do evil. That's actually one of the dictionary definitions of the word. In times of temptation, the devil comes to you like a solicitor or a salesman to make a presentation. He brings an influence into your life and puts an opportunity in front of you to sin you can say yes to a salesman if you want what he's offering or no if you don't think it would be to your advantage you can either accept or reject the devil's solicitations the same way one reason we fail to reject the devil's solicitations at times is that we don't recognize temptation for what it is we buy the devil's line before we even realize he's selling it to us that's why we need to study the enemy's of love the more we know about them and engraft it into our hearts what the word has to say about them the easier it will be for us to detect the devil's devices then instead of falling into his traps we'll take another route we'll look to god for the way of escape avoid the enemies of love and stay on the road to supernatural success amen avoid the enemies of love and stay on the road to supernatural success amen <clears throat> james 3 13 to 16 for january the 10th who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you let him show out of a good conversation his works with beacons of wisdom but if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart glory not and lie not against the truth this wisdom descent not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. As I study the scriptures to find the enemies of love, I come to believe there is one that is more insidious and more common than any other. It's the enemy called strife, which means vigorous or bitter conflict, discord, and antagonism to quarrel, struggle, or clash competitions, rivalry. According to James 3 Stings, where strife gets in, every other evil work will follow strife. Opens the door to the devil and licenses him to bring confusion and evil into our lives. 
That's why he's always pushing us to argue with one another and get offended or critical of one another. It gives him access to us. You see, Satan doesn't want you to enjoy the blessing that is in your that is yours in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want you to be healed, happy, and prosperous because if you are, other people will notice and want the same quality of life you have. They'll give their hearts to God because of the goodness of God they see in your life. To keep that from happening, the devil tries to steal the blessing from you. He tries to take you into opening the door of your life to him by bringing you an opportunity to have conflict with someone. He knows that the moment you step into strife, he can begin to gain mastery over you. The devil wants control of your life, but he can have it when you walk in love. Don't let him have control. Make a quality decision today to shut the door on strife. Refuse to argue with people. Refuse to fight back when people criticize or wrong you. Determine instead to respond in love. Take no account of the devil done to you. When you do mess up and say harsh words, be quick to repent so the devil can get a foothold in your life. I can tell you not only from the word but from experience, it will be one of the best decisions you'll ever make. It will take effort, but God's grace, you will be able to do it. It is a small price to pay for the freedom and the blessing, and you'll be forever glad you did. Amen. And you know what I'm going to say about that is that you gain mastery over it by thanking God you messed up. It's kind of like putting, thanking God you messed up. And that's all I got to say about that. You know, you know this, Bill. All right. Um, January 11, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, 2, and 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal, and whereas there is among you envy, striving, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? First Corinthians 3, 1 and 3. It's bad enough that strife is one of the primary enemies of love. It's bad enough that it opens the door to confusion and every evil work. Those things alone should be enough to make us determined to resist it. But that's not all the Bible has to say about it. In his letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul gave us even more information about the damaging effects of strife. He told us that it will keep us carnal. Carnal Christians are miserable people. They know enough about God to not enjoy sin, but they aren't committed enough to stay out of it. If you don't want to find yourself trapped in that condition, and I know you don't, then stay out of strife. Strife will inhibit your ability to digest the meat of the word, and without meat, you won't be able to grow up in love. You won't be able to overcome a strong, victorious Christian. If you fuss and bicker with others, your spiritual growth will be stunned You'll remain in a spiritual state of spiritual babyhood, and the devil will run over you regularly. Remember that the next time you feel yourself getting irritated with someone about something, when you're tempted to yield to that irritation and step into strife, think about the cost. Ask yourself, 
Am I willing to confine myself to the ranks of carnality over this issue? Am I willing to weaken myself spiritually and give the devil power over me? If you think of it that way, the answer will always be a swift and clear no. And instead of stepping into the turbulent streams of strife, you'll choose to yield to the peaceful flow of love. You'll give a soft answer rather than harsh words to the one who irritates you. Proverbs 51 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Every time you make the choice to walk in God's love, you'll grow up a little more into the image of Jesus. You'll learn spiritual infancy behind and take another step toward the maturity of love. January 12th. Clarity begins at home. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together and make a sympathy together about whatever, anything and everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers into my name, there I am in the midst of them. There's nothing on earth more powerful than the prayers of believers who are walking together in love. Love puts them in harmony with one another. It aligns them with the will of, of the Lord and brings them into agreement. The devil hates agreements between believers. Agreement opens the window to, of heaven to us and closes the door on every destructive thing he can, he can do. So he continually tries to disrupt that agreement by causing strife and division in the places where believers come together in the most powerful way, the family and the church. Until now, you may not have realized the spiritual value of your family, but the fact is, if you have a family members who are believers, your family can be a powerful force for God. So make it your goal to stay out of strife and walk in harmony with those closest to you. Keep in mind the old saying, clarity of love begins at home. Oddly enough, home is often the most difficult place to be loving. I think this is because we don't have our guard up there. We're not worried about our reputation or trying to impress anyone. At home, nothing will stop us from being selfish except our commitment to walk in the love of God. But don't be fooled into thinking it doesn't matter how you act at home. It matters a great deal. In fact, years ago, the Lord revealed this to me, and I have never forgotten it. If you allow Satan to stop you with strife at your front door, you'll be no threat to him anywhere else. So first and foremost, practice the lifestyle of love with your brothers and sisters, your spouse and your children. See to it that your prayers prevail by being in harmony with the members of your own family. The moment you slip up and get into strife, make it right, repent, ask their forgiveness and jump right back into your love walk. You may have to repent quite a bit because you probably develop habits that will take a while to change. But don't get discouraged you with yourself when you miss it. Just keep trusting the Lord to help you keep acting on the word. God, going, keep going and growing in love. Keep acting in the word. Just keep trusting the Lord to help you, praising and worshiping and giving him thanksgiving and quoting his words. That makes it through.
Choose life, not strife. Six things does the Lord hate. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Proverbs six nineteen. Six sixteen through 19. Once you put a stop to strife in your home, the devil will pressure you even harder to get into strife at church. He'll provoke someone to be rude to you and hurt your feelings, or he'll make sure you'll find out about something someone else has done wrong and talk you into spreading word at the wrongdoing of others. When he presents you with the opportunity to turn him, turn him down fast, Treat that temptation to a gossip and stir up the strife like you would a poisonous steak. Turn your back and run the other way, because in the eyes of God, participating in strife is one of the most serious of sins. God considers stirring up strife such as a, a grave sin that he listed along murder and lying. So start away from it. Ask God to reveal to you if you're entered into strife, even inadvertently, he may remind you of a time you pass along gossip about someone or criticize the pastor. If he does repent and determine that from now on, if you see your brother sin, you do what the Bible says to do. You believe God for him, pray for him, and endeavor to help him instead of perpetuating the problem by talking to everyone about it. God makes a promise to those who would do that. First John 5.16 says, if anyone sees his brother, believer, committing a, a sin that does not lead to death, the extinguishing of life, he will pray and God will give him life. Amplified Bible. Think about that. You have the power to either to hurt or to help the brother who has fallen into sin. You can make things worse for him by taking offense and stirring up strife, or you can make things better by loving, praying, and bringing him life. Which will you choose, the side of peace which God loves or the side of discord which God hates? Clearly your own life and the lives of others will greatly affect, affected by what you do. Your choice will make all the difference. January 14, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise to God. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It's not your job to judge. One of the most wonderful characteristics of love is that it always believes the best. Love doesn't criticize or judge others. Even when a great wrong has been done, love says, I know that person's action was wrong, but I cannot judge his heart. I choose to believe he did the best he could do at that time, and I will treat him with the mercy I would desire to receive if I were in his shoes. I realize something that seems extremely difficult to do, but here's something that will help you. When you're tempted to step out of love and into strife by judging a fellow believer, Remember what Romans 14.4 says and ask yourself, Who art thou that judges another? 
man's servant to his own master. He standeth or fallen. Yeah, he says, he shall be holding up, for God is the able to make him stand. The devil will try to push you into making a decision about that person. He'll pressure you to say whether he's guilty or not guilty. But don't give in to that pressure. It's not you, your job to judge others. Instead, that a relief. In fact, according to the Bible, it is your it is to your benefit to withhold judgment because it will save you from the judgment that do you. Jesus said, judge not that you'll be not judged. For what with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again, Matthew 7, 1 and 2. If you're in a church where the pastor has done wrong and lived a wrong lifestyle, and you feel you don't want to follow him, that's fine. I don't blame you. Leave the church and go to one where there's a pastor you can trust and respect. Do it for, quietly. Don't so discard Discord in the church before you up, before you go. You may be tempted to take it in yourself to make the pastor pay for this harm he's done to you and to others, but resist that temptation. Just love him as you leave. Pray for him and let God deal with him as he sees fit. There are strong words of believers and ministers, olive alike who sow discord among the brethren. God hates it, and it is abomination to him. Proverbs 6, 19. Our business is to pray for mercy rather than engage in judgment. We leave judgment to the Lord. Most important of all, make your exit honorably and without bitterness. Let your leaving be marked by peace and love. As you do, you'll be a blessing wherever you go. Amen. And that ends the reading of Limitless Love, January the 8th through January the 14th. Thank you so much for listening in. God bless you. Limitless Love for January the 15th. Articles by Gloria and Kenny Copeland. You are on a great quest. 1 Corinthians 14.1, the Amplified Bible, eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim, your great quest. 1 Corinthians 14.1, early pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim, your great quest. What is the number one goal in your life? What things are you aiming to accomplish? What dreams do you want to achieve? If you're a business person, you may be pursuing the goal of building a business so successful you can pour millions of dollars into the work of God. If you're called to the ministry, you may be dreaming of preaching the gospel around the world. Yes, as wonderful as those goals may be, there is something even more important you can accomplish. It is something you, as a believer, should eagerly pursue and seek to acquire. It should be your aim, your great quest. What is this great quest? It is the goal of living a life ordered by and overflowing with the love of God. Love is the foundation for the Christian life. Nothing works without it. And 
When it is in operation, success is guaranteed. When you walk in love, you put yourself in a position where God himself can protect and promote you. When you exchange selfishness for love, when you stop seeking to be blessed and begin seeking ways to spread the blessing, the Father himself goes to work on your behalf. He will allow no man to harm you. First Chronicles 16.21 No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Even the devil himself can damage you. First John 5.18 The Bible says, God is love. First John 4.8 So when you get on the side of love, you get on God's side and he gets on yours. And he is great one. A great one to have on your side because when he is for you, no one can stand against you. Romans 8, 31, 34. Love is the only commandment Jesus had given us. It is the key to God's wisdom, power, and protection. If we fully understood the great return from living in God's love, we would surely make it our primary aim and our great request. Rather than sitting around waiting for someone else to love us, we'd be competing with each other, each trying to love the other more. And without a doubt, everyone would emerge from that competition a winner. January 16th. A sure sign of growth. Let our lives lovingly express truth in all things. Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Enfolded in love, let us grow up in every way and in all things unto him who is the head, even Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. Ephesians 4.15, the Amplified Bible. Most Christians today are tired of just playing church. We're ready to get serious about God, disconnect with carnal ways and immaturity. We want to put childish things behind us and grow up spiritually so we can be like Jesus. Of course, we're not the first ones to have this desire. The Apostle Paul had it almost 2,000 years ago. He prayed fervently for the day when we would all arrive at early mature manhood the completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and the completeness found in him. Ephesians 4.13, Amplified Bible. Paul not only prayed about that kind of spiritual maturity, he exhorted us as believers to move actively toward it. Enfold it in love, he said. Envelop in love. Let us grow up in every way and in all things into him. That phrase, envelop, enfolded in love, has really come alive to me in the past few years. I come to realize more and more that love is the single most important key to growing up in God. If we don't grow up in love, we don't grow up at all. That might come as a surprise to some people. They might think that love is so basic 
It's something only spiritual beginners must study. They might consider things like the gift of the Spirit, prophecy, healings, and miracles, for example, as more relevant to the mature believer. But the Corinthian church proved the gifts are not marks of spiritual maturity at all. They abounded in spiritual gifts, yet the Apostle Paul referred to them as mere infants in Christ. Still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, 3, the Amplified Bible. Thank God we don't have to be like that. We don't have to be perpetually stuck in spiritual infancy. We can keep growing up in Jesus every day. What's more, we know how to measure our progress if we want to know whether we're spiritual or not. We won't look to see what mighty gifts of the Spirit we have. We look at our love life. The more spiritually mature we are, the more our lives will be marked and ruled by love. January 17. Let God love others through you. But love you, your neighbors, your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Luke 6.35 The love of God that flows from the heart of a believer is as different from human love as day is from night. Human love is so changeable, it can turn to hate when circumstances aren't right. It can behave with tender affection one moment and jealous rage the next and be called love all the while. Human love is little more than a phony emotional counterfeit of God's love. It's dependent on whims and feelings. It says, if you're nice to me and give me what I want, I'll love you. But if you don't, I won't. God's love isn't like that. It's constant. It's unconditional. The chief ingredient of the God kind of love is self-sacrifice for the benefit of the one loved. It is the type of love that will continue to love people whether or not it receives a response. Divine love is not self-seeking. It is self-giving. God doesn't just love the lovely. He loves the unlovely. Two, no matter how bad, mean, or resistant someone might be, if that person will turn to him, he'll cleanse and forgive. He'll let that person partake of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, so he or she can have a new life in him. That's the way God loves us, and that's the way he expects us to love each other. That means when someone treats us badly, we don't get huffy about it. We don't get fretful and resentful. Instead, we treat them kindly, pray for them, and refuse to think about how they did us wrong. Walking in love means we lay down our own rights and look out for the other person's rights instead. When we're tired and under pressure, we lay down our right to let people know about it by snapping at them and telling them what a hard day we had. We set aside our own feelings and behave kindly and gently to those around us. 
That sounds pretty tough, you might say. I'm not sure I could trust myself to do that. Then don't trust yourself. Trust God to do it through you. Say this, Lord, I can't love this way on my own, so I am trusting in you today as I step out in faith by speaking and acting in a loving way. I'll expect your love within me to come shining through. Just rely on the Lord and you'll be amazed how he can love others through you. January 18th. Our one responsibility. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can phantom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 3, New International Version says that if I speak in tongues of men and angels. If I have not love, I am nothing. As far as God is concerned, love is the bottom line. Nothing counts without it. Without love, the gifts of the Spirit don't amount to anything. Without love, your fate won't work. Without love, your giving doesn't count. Uh-oh. In short, you and I can't go anywhere spiritually unless we get our love straight. When you think about how important love actually is, it's amazing we haven't emphasized it more after all. Love is our only law. God didn't give us a long list of rules to memorize. We don't even have Ten Commandments like the Israelites did. Jesus said, This is my one commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John fifteen twelve. How do we keep that one commandment? By doing one wonderfully simple thing. We do it by staying in contact with Jesus. We do it by fellowship with him and obeying him. The more intimately we know and walk with him, the more his love will flow through us. And the more we walk in love, the more intimate our fellowship with him becomes. It is a glorious cycle that continues, continually lifts us up higher. Few people have captured this precious truth better than Rufus Mosley, a great man of God who passed over many years ago. The Lord spoke these words to him. Go in love and I shall always be with you. As Brother Mosley meditated on these words, he wrote, The master key of the kingdom of heaven of abiding union with Jesus has been given to me. Go in love and I shall always be with you, the Lord said. Your only responsibility is the responsibility of being in union with me. Life in Jesus is glorious, easy, and has put but one responsibility, the responsibility of remaining in that union with him. Amen and amen. January 19th. 
wash the hindrances away. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereof according to thy word. Psalm 119.9 Once you understand that love as a fruit of the Spirit abides within the reborn spirit of every Christian, you might wonder why believers so often act like we do. If we are loving by nature, why are we sometimes the meanest things on two legs? It's because we haven't cultivated the new nature. We haven't cultivated it. We we've simply kept yielding to fleshly habits we develop over the years. We give in to the devil's badgering, doing what our old sin-trained body wants to do instead of what the new man or what 1 Peter 3.4 calls the hidden man of the heart, wants to do. As a result, our fleshly nature obstructs our new nature and inhibits its expression. How do we remove that obstruction? How do we cleanse ourselves from those old habits so the love of God can be freely expressed in our lives? One way is by reading and meditating on the Word of God. Ephesians 5.26 tells us we're cleansed and sanctified by the washing of water by the Word. I saw one of the best illustrations of that truth in Ken's life years ago when he tried to quit smoking. Although he wasn't in the ministry yet, he was born again. Loved God and all his heart and wanted to live pleasing before him but he had been a serious smoker for years and the habit had a strong hold on him. He struggled for months to overcome it. Sometimes he'd be driving down the highway and have a, such a desire to stop smoking that he'll throw his cigarettes out the window. Within a few miles, however, his flesh would rise up and demand a cigarette and he'd go back and find the pack he just threw away. All of that changed, however, when he went to a meeting in Houston where he heard the word preached twice a day, every day for three weeks. As he was driving home with the last meeting, he realized he hadn't smoked in his days. He's been so immersed in the word of God, the habit that once seemed impossible to break has simply been washed away. Want to rid yourself of old selfish thoughts and actions that have stopped God's love? From flowing through you, spend some serious time meditating on scriptures about love. Take heed to them and let them cleanse you. If you apply it, the separating power of the word of God will go to work in you. Amen and amen. January the 20th. Be strong and win the battle. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 When you were born again, your spirit was recreated in the image of love himself. Think about it. God is the greatest lover of all time and as a partaker of his divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 you're a lover too. 
As you already discovered, however, walking according to that loving nature is no stroll in the park. There's a struggle involved, as Galatians 5.17 says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Revised Standard Version. Galatians 5.17 So when you decide to obey the desires and promptings of your reborn spirit, your untrained flesh starts to fight you. If you want to win this battle, you have to keep your spirit strong by putting God first place in your life. You have to stay spiritually healthy by fellowshipping with him through his word. The more of his word you put in your heart, the stronger your spirit becomes. If you continue to feed on the word, eventually it will be so powerful, it will overcome the flesh every time. Hebrews 5.14 The opposite is also true. If you spend your time feeding on soap operas, romances, novels, TikTok, the evening news, CNI, CNN, your flesh will grow stronger and your spirit will weaken. And though you still have the inner desire to be loving and kind, the flesh will bully you into action like the devil. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John eight thirty one and 32. Notice Jesus said, Continue in the word. He didn't say, read the word now and then when you feel like it. He said, stay in the word continually because it will make you feel free from the bondage of the flesh so you can walk in the spirit. Your spirit will become stronger and begin to dominate the natural desires of your flesh. You'll still face a battle and when you're driving down the highway, for example, and someone cuts rudely in front of you, your flesh will still tempt you to become angry and shout and shake your fists at them. But if your spirit is strong, you'll win the battle without breaking a sweat, yielding to the love within you. You'll smile and say, Lord, bless that person and help them get safely to where they're going today. So stay in the word and be strong. Start every day by making a decision to walk in the spirit and then do everything you can to act on that decision all day long. It won't always be easy, but it will always be worth the effort because when you walk in the spirit, You'll live like the lover you were born again to be. Amen and amen. January 21st, healthy, happy, and wise. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Philippians 2.3 Did you know that walking in love is good for your health? That's right, medical research has confirmed it. Researchers discover there are two kinds of stresses. The first is the kind you experience when you're working hard to achieve something, pressing yourself to reach a goal. 
This kind of stress they found is natural and good. It doesn't hurt you. The second kind of stress, however, has such a negative effect that it's physically dangerous. It is caused by hostility or anger toward others. When you think of hostility, you may think of the type of anger you feel when facing some serious threat. But according to medical studies, this isn't what really causes the problem. It's the little things. It's the anger you feel when the dry cleaners ruins your favorite outfit, for example, or when the server of the cafeteria puts gravy on your mashed potatoes and you specifically told her not to. In short, what researchers have discovered is what God has been telling us all along. When things like that happen, we need to immediately forgive the person responsible, release the offense, and let it go. We need to resist our natural selfish desires to give that person a piece of our mind and treat them kindly instead. In other words, we need to walk in love. Imagine the benefits of living like that. What would happen to stomach ulcers and tension headaches if we never paid any attention to a suffered wrong? How much stress would we avoid if we were quick to forgive? Clearly, we weren't made to live with hostility flowing through us. We were designed to live by love. If we'll do that, we'll not only be healthier, we'll be happier. It's impossible for a selfish person to stay happy because they're constantly stewing about something who did them wrong or some circumstance they didn't go their way or how much they have to do. When we're living selfishly, we're miserable because we're not made to live that way. God made us to think more about pleasing Him and serving others than about pleasing ourselves. And the more we do that, the harder it is for the devil to upset us. Think about it. Living a life of love is good for our health and our happiness. Isn't God smart? Everything he instructs us to do is for our good. If we're wise, we'll obey him and experience the best life he has to give. Amen and amen. Limitless love for the 4th of January. Abide and bear truth. Articles by Gloria and Kenny Copeland. In Galatians 5, 22-23, the Amplified Bible says, But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work which His presence within accomplishes, is love, joy, gladness, peace, patience, and even temper, forbearance, kindness, goodness, benevolence, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, humility, self-control, self-restraint, continence. Continents. Interesting, huh? The Amplified Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. Lord, we just raise your word above our heads, Lord. We put it first place, just like you did. You said you put your word above your head, way up there, Lord, that it's the beginning of everything, Lord. We thank you that you said there would be light and there was light. We thank you for your word that you spoke through the Holy Spirit, through 
Paul and the prophets, Lord. And we thank you for the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's evident and working in our lives. Your presence within us is accomplishing more joy, more gladness, love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, meekness, self-restraint, and continence. We thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen. And now for the article. As you set your sights on living a life of love, you will be encouraged to know that love isn't something you have to struggle to attain. It's not a work produced by your own efforts. On the contrary, the Bible lists love as the very first fruit of the Spirit. It is the natural outgrowth of the life of God in you. Actually, all the fruit of the Spirit is put within you the moment you were born again. It will forever be part of your reborn spirit because your spirit is made in the image of God. He put his own divine nature inside you. And the fruit of the Spirit is characterized of his nature. If that is true, you might ask, why haven't I seen more evidence of it in my life? I tried very hard to be more loving and kind. I struggle and I just can't seem to do it. That's because fruit bearing doesn't come that way. Have you ever seen the branch of an apple tree struggling, straining, or trying with all his might to bear apples? Certainly not. All the branch has to do is stay connected to the tree as it draws life from the tree. Apples come forth naturally. According to Jesus, the same is true for us. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. John fifteen five, New American Standard. As we abide in Jesus, spending time in fellowship with him in prayer and his word, his life will flow through us and bear fruit in our lives. The force of his spirit will cause the love inside us to develop on the outside. Praise God we can live the life of love. Not by putting forth great effort and trying to do it, but simply by abiding in Jesus. When we focus our efforts on doing what it takes to stay in union and communion with Him, we will bear fruit abundantly, just as the grape is the natural result of abiding connected to the vine. Love is the supernatural result of abiding connected to Jesus. He is the love vine. Amen. And like I said a hundred times before, for me, I had to read 1 John 1 through 5 and John 14, 15, 16, and 17 till I broke down the walls of resistance in my life of, of accepting love, feeling love, acting love, and falling in love more and more with God. And the other thing is put the rubber band on my wrist to thank God when I messed up. Bring them into the to the realm. Acknowledge the Lord God in all my ways, then he shall direct my path. Amen. January the 5th, your number one priority. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. New American Standard, John fifteen four. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. 
so neither can you unless you abide in me. Once you understand that love as a fruit of the Spirit will only grow in your lives as you abide in Jesus, you'll be more diligent to spend time with Him. You won't try to live from Sunday to Sunday, fellowship with Him once a week and ignoring Him the rest of the time. You'll draw near to Him daily, realizing the supernatural life of love comes only from consistent communion with Him. Actually, true unbroken communion with the Lord comes from walking with Him all the day long. I found when I set aside time each day to focus exclusively on Him, I can more easily stay tuned in to Him during my other activities. By tending to my union with Jesus first thing in every morning, I can more easily maintain that union throughout my day. This is very important because Jesus said, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. John fifteen six. The word withered means to shrivel, to lose, or cause to lose energy, force, or freshness. The moment a branch is broken off the vine, it begins to die. It doesn't matter how close it is to the vine. If the union has been broken, there will be no energy going into it. There will be no sap flowing from the vine into the branch. That's a vivid picture of what happened to us if we don't stay in vital contact and living union with the Lord. When we become too busy to spend time with God in prayer and His Word, when we become preoccupied with natural earthly things and disconnect from communion with Him, we immediately begin to wither. We still belong to Him. We still have His life within us, but His energy is now flowing through us, so we can't produce anything. I don't want to live that way, even for a day, do you? Glory to God, we don't have to, if we'll just make our time with the Lord our number one priority every day, we can produce fruit in Him. As a result, we'll not only live blessed, we'll be able to share the blessing with those around us. When they are in need of love, they'll always be able to find it flowing through us. Amen and amen. Note, another key question comes to me by the Holy Spirit. It's Galatians 5, 23, going back to our first reading, that we need to apply that to ourselves. Uh, be good to ourselves, conduct ourselves with uh, love, joy, gladness, peace, patience, even temper, forbearance, kindness, goodness, benevolence, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, humility, self-control, self-restraint, and continence, and give some of those fruits to ourselves so that we can better shine the vehicle, the Voss, so it'll be a better service. Amen. All right, moving on to January the 6th. The choice is yours. These four articles I'm reading are by Gloria Copeland. Romans 6, 13, 14 says, Neither you yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen. To me... That says, acknowledge the Lord God, even if you mess up. You say, I thank God I'm a, 
I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thank God I'm a misfit. I missed the mark. If it keeps pestering you, condemnation keeps hitting your head, just keep praising God and say, thank you, God. Thank you I did that. I have turned it into a learning situation and punched the condemnation right on the nose by thanking God and keep acting like it's a good thing because it has remind you to thank the Lord. So start thanking to your condemnation. Sell it. I thank you for reminding me that I messed up. I thank God I messed up. And punch it right in the nose. I am. You just reminded me. Mess ups that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a world overcomer. Greater is in me that's in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Whatever I do will prosper in the name of the Lord. My God supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I expect a miracle. My God supplies my needs. Amen. Now back to the article. Although the life of Jesus in us produces the fruit of love, don't make the mistake of thinking you can just sit back and let him do everything. He won't grow the fruit for you any more than the apple tree will take up the responsibility of the branch and grow apples straight from the trunk of the tree. Jesus provides you with power and the life. Then you must do your part by choosing to yield to that life. By an act of your will, you must let what he has put inside you manifest itself on the outside. When someone says something ugly to you, for example, you have to make a decision. Will you yield to irritation of your flesh and say something unkind in return? Or will you yield to your spirit and respond in love? The answer of those questions will be determined by two factors. The first, of course, is the choice you make. The second is the condition of your heart. If you've been neglecting your time with God, spending hours in front of the world's entertainment instead of attending to the Word, you may find yourself too weak to obey the voice of the Spirit. Although your heart's desire is to act lovingly, your flesh will win the struggles with your undernourished spirit and lash out in anger to the one who wronged you. But if you have been daily abiding in fellowship with the Lord, your heart will be strong and full of the spirit energy necessary to overrule the flesh and let love flow. You'll be well able to make the right choices and Jesus' love will reach others through you. That love could be the avenue through which they discover the love of Jesus for themselves. We are living love letters from God to others. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. Amen. Well, let me go ahead and read that so we don't want to stay in the dark. We don't want to let anything fall off the cracks when it's in the power in our hands to do that. Going to 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. But you are our letter and you are in our hearts for everyone to read and understand. You are like a letter written by Christ and delivered by us, but you are not written with pen and ink or on tablets made of stone. You are written in our hearts by the Spirit of the living God. Amen. Isn't that great? We make that kind of impression on others. So always be thanking God. Be aware. 
be a living vessel of working on ourselves, and then others will see the hard work we're doing. I love you. Thank you so much for that great work, that wonderful work that you're doing. And it's effective. I can see it because you're here listening to the Word of God. Amen. Through this vessel. Our next reading is January the 7th, 1 John 4.15 and 16 and verse 21, New American Standard. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Amen and amen. To effectively love others, you must first believe God loves you. That's the problem. No, wait a minute. That's no problem, you might say. I know God loves me. Maybe so, but according to these verses, just knowing it isn't enough. We also need to believe it. To believe means to have firm faith in something, to accept it as true, genuine or real, to have an unshakable conviction of its goodness, efficacy, and ability. As Christians, we should have more than a mental understanding that God loves us. We should be firmly grounded in that love. We should believe it to be so good and genuine, so trustworthy and strong that it will keep us safe from harm in every situation, no matter what anyone else may say or do to us. We should rest securely in the fact that we are fully and forever loved. Maybe that kind of confidence love doesn't come easily for you. Maybe you've been abused and criticized so much in the past that you naturally think of yourself as unlovable. If so, allow the Word of God to change how you see yourself. Instead of filling your thoughts with the unkind words others have said to you, fill your thoughts with the tender words of God. Set your mind on verses like 1 John 3, 1. Beloved, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Then fellowship with the Lord over the truth of those verses. Thank Him for loving you with such a great love. Praise Him to, for caring for you so much that He called you to be His very own child. Agree with the Word and begin to see yourself as the Father sees you. Acknowledge that regardless of your past experiences. Whether He says about you as His child is true and since He says you are loved, choose to believe it. As you do, you'll begin to see by revelation of the Spirit that God actually is your Father and He does care for you. You'll be able to say, just like the Apostles John did, I know and believe the love God has for me. As a result, the love of God will become a reality in your life. You'll find that God's love is not only coming to you, it's flowing through you. And before you know it, You'll be living the life of love. Amen and amen. The easy way is to memorize 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
And then writing down the other verse in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then there's other verses. You know, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Writing those down over and over again, posting them around your house, in your kitchen here and there, where you wash the dishes, where you can meditate on it, posting it right by the television where you're learning it. Just get a big uh, 5 by 11 white sheet, write it in there and post it till you got it memorized. And always remind you to, as you look at it, you're memorizing it through uh, commercials or whatever. And then, boom, the light will go on. You'll re- we'll start receiving, and we will believe in this next statement. Expect a miracle. You will believe that. Expect a miracle. It, it will come alive. Don't just write it in a three by five. Write it big. Put it all over till it becomes your friend and starts to t- and come in your life. And you start expecting miracles as a natural sequence in life. One right after another. Rhythm. Good things happening. Folks, we got it made in the shade. Our payoff for this little bit of work and concentration is unlimited. It's limitless love. Limitless love, January the 1st. A life worth living. Our scripture for today is 1 John 2. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 1 John 2, 3 and 6. Great many people claim to know God. They call themselves Christians and say, the Lord told me this or the Lord told me that. Yes, it is not just what we say that proves we know Jesus is how we live. The Bible says if we are abiding in him, we will live as he lived. How did Jesus live? First and foremost, he lived a life of love. Jesus didn't live for himself. He didn't seek to do his own will. He lived to do the will of his Father. He lived to pour out his life to others. You might say it this way. Jesus lived to give himself away. Worldly people don't understand that kind of life. They'll warn you against it. They'll say, if you like that, you'll be miserable. You'll never have any fun. You'll never get anywhere. You'll be a weakling and people will walk all over you. But don't listen. They don't know what they're talking about. Jesus lived like that and his life was wonderful. He walked the earth in total victory. He defeated Satan and destroyed his works at every turn. Everywhere he went, he loved people. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk. He cast out demons and raised the dead. He made people know the love of God. No matter how the world tries to convince us that it is more rewarding to live in sin and selfishness than in love and obedience, Jesus proved it's not. He lived the most rewarding life in history. 
If you live the life of love by faith in Jesus, you'll have the same kind of experiences he had. Jesus said in John 14, 12, you'll even do the works he did. You won't be cheated out of the good things in life. On the contrary, you'll enjoy the most thrilling life of victory you could ever imagine. You'll experience God pouring his power out through you. You'll know the joy of the Lord. Now that's what I call a life worth living. January the 2nd, a simple supernatural secret. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be love of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 14.21 and John 15.12 Something about the manifest presence of the Lord is indescribable. Although we know God is with us always, when we can sense his presence and when we can't, every believer who has experienced the tangible presence of God hungers for it more and more. That's why we often hear believers praying, Lord, I want more of you. Having tasted the sweet awareness of God's presence, they are seeking it with greater fervency than ever before. They want to experience his nearness and hear his voice. They don't just want to know theological facts about God. They want to have living contact with him. Some try to experience his presence by running from one meeting to another, seeking spectacular signs and wonders. Others pray for hours, beginning and pleading for God to reveal himself. Certainly, Holy Spirit anointing meetings are wonderful and prayer is essential. But Jesus gave us the major key to his manifest presence that many people overlook. The key of love. In essence, he said, I will manifest myself to those who believe in me and keep the commandments of love. Living a lifestyle of love is essential if you want to maintain vital contact with God. Every step in love is a step toward Him, and every step out of love draws you away. Years ago, a person named Rufus Mosley caught sight of the revelation that if we live by the commandment of love, God's presence will always be with us. He said, I knew this was a secret. If we abide in his love and always go in love, feeling and willing and giving out nothing but love and all possible love for all men and all things, we will always be in him and under his anointing. It was made known to me that I could write editorials and do everything else that can be done in the loving spirit of Jesus. I could even be in heavenly places while plowing with a mule, pruning trees in courtrooms, in death cells, in all places of need, provided all was done in the spirit of love. What a wonderful, simple, supernatural secret. The more we live by love, the more we'll experience the manifest presence of God. As we walk in love, we'll be increasingly able to sense our Lord Jesus walking with us everywhere we go. And since his presence brings fullness of joy, that will make everything we do a delight. Amen. January the 3rd. You're not on your own. The Lord endures. Love endures long. 
and is patient and is kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Is not boastful or vainglorious. Does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not unnatural, unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account for the evil done. It says it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice of injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes is every is ever ready to believe the best of every person is hopes or fades under all circumstances. It endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. Second Corinthians thirteen four through eight Amplified Bible. When you see in the Bible what it really means to live a life of love, your first thought may be that you could never do it. How can I consistently be unselfish and kind to those who are harsh and, th- and thoughtless toward me? You wonder how can I continually overlook insults and mistreatments, refusing to take account of a suffered wrong? It's just too hard to do. Frankly, you're right. Walking in love is hard for humans being to do. In fact, when we try to do it on our own, we find it impossible. But thank God we're not on our own. If we've been born again, Jesus Christ, the greater one, lives within us by his spirit. He makes us able, in fact, as we trust in him, his own love will actually flow through us. While weak human attempts to walk in love, we always fall short. Jesus loved us, will overcome every challenge. Jesus within us. Every situation, every hurt, no offense, his love releases in our lives, will perfectly fulfill this description in 1 Corinthians 13. His love in us will never fail. What can we do to tap into that love? Begin by meditating on what the Bible says about it. Fellowship with God in the truth of these verses by saying, I thank you, Lord, that your love in me endures long and is patient and kind. Your love in me is never envious, conceited, or self-seeking. Your love within me is not touchy, nor resentful, but believes the best of every person Amen. As we renew our minds in this way, the God kind of love will begin to dominate our thought lives. Faith will grow strong in our hearts, giving us confidence not in ourselves, but in the one who dwells within us. As we act as on that faith, we'll be empowered to respond in love to every kind of mean, meanness, selfishness, persecution, and hurt. That may come our way. We'll find as we practice the walk of love that was so impossible to our flesh, it becomes the natural outflow of our spirit that have been born again in the image of Jesus. We'll find we are truly able to love others with his mighty love. Amen.
limitless love. Loose me and let me go. John 11, 43 to 44. When Jesus does, has spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. In light of the overwhelming benefits of life-giving love, why do as believers so often fail to do? Usually it's because we're still wrapped up in our old worldly habits of thinking and reacting. We continue to live from the outside instead of from the inside where God, who is love, dwells. We're in much the same condition Lazarus was in immediately after Jesus raised him from the dead. You probably remember the story in John 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus had been dead for four days. Four days. But Jesus ordered the tomb to be open and call his friend back from the dead. In response to the master's voice, Lazarus came forth from the tomb, but the Bible says he was still bound up. The grave clothes was wrapped around him, even though there was life within him. He was unable to move freely, so Jesus said to those standing by, Loose him and let him go. That's a good illustration of our situation. When we are first born again, our spirit man comes alive with the very life of Christ himself. We are spiritually born of God, but... The self-centered habits we acquire are spiritually dead. Sinners are still in place. They still have us bound. For us to be free to walk in the new life God has put within us, those deadly habits of selfishness, unforgiveness, irritation, and impatience have to be removed. How does that happen? As we fellowship with the Lord in prayer and put his word in our hearts, his truth makes us free. John 8, 32. Then we can say to each other, one of those deadly habits, I refuse to be held down. I am going to walk in love. I am putting hate, unforgiveness, and selfishness behind me. I am going forward in the power and the glory of God. So lose me and let me go. It doesn't take weeks or months to switch over the natural to supernatural living. For a born-again follower of Jesus, all it takes is union with me, Union with him, excuse me, and a decision to yield to the force of love. God has already placed his love within us, so let's not keep it locked inside. Let us dare to do what the Bible says and put on the new man created after God. Colossians 3.10 Let us strip off those grave clothes and find out just how good it is to be free. Article from Gloria Copeland. So I say to you, Come forth and be loosened. Come forth and be raised to life. Come forth and receive your abundant life. Come forth and leave the old useless things behind. In Jesus' name, amen. That was an article by Gloria Copeland. I, it was my deals on the coming forth. No kidding, Fernando. All right, our next article is Forget Past Failures, another article by Gloria Copeland. The scripture is Romans 5.5 5 from the New American Standard. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given a, been given to us. Okay, let me say that again. 
Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Spiritually speaking, love comes naturally to every believer. No matter how selfish or wicked a person may be, when he is born again, God puts himself and his own nature inside that person. He literally pours his love into the human heart through the Holy Spirit. Ken and I, Gloria, have been dramatically evidence of that truth firsthand. We know people who were so hard-hearted, hard-hearted before they were saved, they could kill and have no remorse. They absolutely had no conscience to bother them. Yet, after they made Jesus Lord of their lives, they become the most tender, compassionate people you could ever meet. There is no doubt about it. God does for each of us exactly what he promised in Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. The moment we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, he takes out our story, stony heart of sin and gives us a new heart of love, the Living Bible. That's especially important for you to remember. If you stumble recently and fallen into unloving behavior, you'll be tempted to forget what God has done in you and focus on your own failure. But don't do it. Stir up your faith by focusing on God's word instead. Remind yourself that love is your supernatural, natural disposition. It may not look like it at all times, but as a believer, you walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, simply because the Bible says so, you believe you were born to love. The love in you isn't the kind you see on television or in the movies either. It's the God kind of love. It's the kind of supernatural love described in 1 Corinthians 13. The kind that loves when no one loves back. Its hallmark is unselfishness. It joyfully sacrifices itself for the benefit of the loved one. If you haven't been yielding to that love, just repent and receive God's forgiveness. Forget past failures. Step out in faith and confess what the Bible says about you. Say this. I am to love creature. Again, say this. I am a love creature. God has recreated my spirit in the image of love. He has sent his love spirit to live in me and teach me how to love as he loves. I can live the life of love. I can live the life of love. Then put your faith to work. Do something loving. Say something kind. Pray for something, someone. I guarantee if you do that, you'll quickly find rivers of divine love pouring through you, and you sure will feel it. Amen. Our next article is called The Protective Power of Love. And the scripture is Isaiah 54, verses 14 and 15 and 17. In righteousness thou shalt be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. No weapon that form against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. 
This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. If we fully understood the blessing that walking in love brings us, we wouldn't abandon it so easily when we encounter pressure or aggravation. If we knew, for example, that becoming fretful or resentful would cost us the divine protection God has provided for us as his children, we'll be more apt to set those unloving attitudes aside. Walking in love puts us in a position where God can protect us. It puts us in the center of his will where no weapon formed against us can prosper. When we stop fighting for ourselves, God can fight on our behalf. And he always wins. You can see the fact born out in the life of Jesus. He always walked in love, not just when people were praising him, but also when he was bitterly rejected and mistreated. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. As a result, no man and no demon could touch him. When the people of Nazareth tried to throw him off a cliff, he just walked through the midst of them. When the soldiers came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, they all fell to the ground under the power of God. If Jesus had not given himself up, he could never have been crucified because he alone had the power to lay down his life. No one could take it from him because he lived the life of love. Remember that when it looks to you as if love will make you an underdog instead of victor. All, all, at those times when you're wrongly treated and it appears being patient and kind will be to your disadvantage, your flesh will rise up and say, now, wait a minute, I walk in love. People are going to, to run right over me. But don't listen to your flesh. Instead, tune in to your spirit and remind yourself of how God protects Jesus. Keep living the love life just like he did and the same power that protected him will do the same for you. Amen. Our next study is called Study the Manual by Gloria Copeland. She uses the scripture, 2 John verse 6, the New American Standard says, This is love that we walk according to his commandments. We heard a lot of talk about the love these days, but the truth is, Few people really know what it is. For most, it is an emotional phantom that appears, then vanishes without warning. Elusive, undefinable, forever sought, but rarely found. Even Christians seem to be confused about it at times, but they don't need to be. The Word of God reveals clearly what love truly is. It tells us quite simply that the love is keeping the commandments of God. It is knowing and obeying His Word. Thank heaven God didn't leave us wondering about love. He didn't make us struggle along, along with some indefinite, hazy idea about it. He made it clear and easy to define throughout the Bible. He gave us instructions so we could know how to love as he loved. He gave up his manual in black and, black and white. All we have to do is follow it and we'll be walking in love. This is especially important for us to know these days because as the world around us grows more sinful, people are becoming increasingly confused about love. They think doing anything that feels good is loving. They even excuse immoral lifestyles all in the name of love. 
Becoming a Christian doesn't make you an instant expert on love either. Although the love of God was born within you, the moment you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, initially you're a spiritual baby. It's only by feeding on the Word of God and learning how love acts that you have spiritual infancy behind and develop the maturity to walk in love. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is more important than learning to love. So study the manual God has given you. I will teach you how to make the love that's inside you show up on the outside as you act on God's word. His love will be perfected in your life and others will see Jesus in you. Amen. Our next story is also by Gloria Copeland. It says, An Open Door of Love. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 13, 34, and 35. New American Standard. Years ago, a popular song said, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Remember it? Usually secular songs are way of, off base, but that one was very nearly right. All you have to do is change one word and it's perfectly scriptural. What the world needs now is love, God's love. The world is starving for the love of God. Every person in it has been created with a desperate need for divine love. Their deepest yearning is to be treasured and cared for so completely that all their hurts and fears just melt away. Of course, only their creator can care for them like that. Only he can satisfy their love-hungry heart. But most people don't know that. So they keep looking for love in all the wrong places. They keep reaching out and being disappointed again and again. Where's the solution to this sad situation? It's inside of you. As a born-again believer, you are the open door into the love of God for the people with whom you come in contact. You have the power and the privilege to love them with his own love. With his own love. Did you hear that? By loving others the way Jesus loves you, you can demonstrate God's love to those who are looking for it. They will be drawn to him through you for those who are looking for it. I don't know, you might say. I don't think I can really do that. Sure you can. As Christians, love is our commandment and God wouldn't give it give it to us if we didn't have the ability to keep it. What's more, the Bible says God's love is the distinguishing mark of every believer. We made, we're made in the image of, the, of our Heavenly Father and because He so loved the people of the world, we can love them too. <clears throat> in fact, by the power of God within you, you can love so deeply and so well, people will know just by watching you that you're a disciple of Jesus. They literally find His love in you and that's what they've seen. They've been looking for a long time. <clears throat> Amen. Scripture reading for today is Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which works by love. Galatians 5, 6. Welcome to today's reading. We'll be reading January 28, 29, 30, and 31, finishing off the month. Reading from the book, Limitless Love by Copeland's, by Gloria and Kenny Copeland. 
Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and enjoy the reading of your love today. In Jesus' name, amen. 28. I'm a faith person. I believe deeply in the importance and the power of faith. Yet, I'll be the first to say that faith by itself is not enough to make us more than conquerors. We must also have love because the Bible clearly tells us that faith works by love. Love actually inspires faith. It gives faith a foundation to build on. You might even say love gives us reason to believe. Think about the love of God, for example. His love for us is the foundation of our faith in Him. John 3.16 says, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that by believing in Him, we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Imagine it, God sacrificed his very own son for us. And what prompted him to do it was love. Actually, it's his great love that prompts him to do everything he does for us. It's his love that provides exceeding great and precious promises that bless us both in this life and in the life to come. It's his might, mighty love that causes his mercy to be new toward us every morning. Over the years, I noticed that people who don't grasp God's love aren't able to have much faith in His Word. They struggle and try to believe, but when push comes to shove, their faith falters and fails. Why? Because they don't have a revelation of love to back it up. On the other hand, when we truly begin to understand and experience how full of compassion God is toward us, we can easily believe He'll keep His promises to us when we know how much God cares, we can trust Him to do what He says. We can have faith that He'll take care of us in every situation. In his wonderful book, Christ the Healer, F.F. F. Bothell writes, I have seen faith rise mountains high when the truth of God presents love and compassion begin to dawn upon the minds and hearts of the people. It is not what God can do, but what we know He yearns to do. That inspires faith. Remember that, that when you find yourself struggling to trust the Lord, spend some time in fellowship with Him, feeding on His words of love for you, receive and act on them in your relationship with others. You'll soon see to yourself that faith truly does work by love. Amen. <clears throat> Let me read that again, please. In the wonderful book, Christ the Healer, F.F. Bothworth's, by the way, that's on YouTube. The reading is from the the grandson reads his grandfather's book, Christ the Healer, and it's on YouTube for free. It's an amazing piece of literature of love coming from the voice and the Holy Spirit. We play it all day long and enjoy it as we do our duties around the house. Thank you. I have seen faith rise mountain high when the truth of God's present love and compassion begins to dawn upon the mind and hearts of the people. It is not what God can do, but what we know he yearns to do that inspires faith. Amen. All right, let's go to the next one, please. Now remember that it's knowing that what God can do, has done, and continues to do. It's a revelation of faith. 
like everything is working by love. It's just amazing that his son was sent to the cross by love. We know that one. But his mercies are new every morning. Even in our failures before we became Christians, it was the grace and the hand of God that sustained us through our misbehaving and un unable to receive God's love. January 29th. Don't let anyone steal your joy. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy remain in you, and that your joy may be full. John fifteen, ten and 11. Do you want to live a truly joyful life? Then walk in the love, because joy and love flow together. If you think about it, you can easily see why. In this world, we're surrounded by selfish people. They're on the highways honking and gesturing the, and cutting rudely in front of us. They're in the workplace saying harsh and unliking things. Sad to say, you'll even encounter them in church. Ignoring you instead of giving you a smile and a warm hello, snapping at you because you didn't do something just right. If you don't walk in love, someone will steal your joy before lunchtime because there's always someone out there who will be mean to you. They don't necessarily do it on purpose or any more than you and I do, but they're human and any part from the influence of God. Human beings are naturally selfish. They'll say something ugly to you or wrong you in some way and ruin your whole day. You can end up thinking about it and letting it eat you until you become decreasingly joyful and increasingly upset. Living a life of love, however, will alter the progression. Why? Because love endures long and is patient and kind. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account for the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, the Amplified Bible. Love enables you to overlook the offenses of others and let them go free. Love makes you think differently instead of thinking, how dare she say or, or he say such a thing like that to me, unkindly. I'll give them a piece of my mind. Yeah, love makes you think. They must be really be hurting inside to say such a thing to, uh, to me and maybe a bunch of other people. I wonder if there's anything I can do to encourage them, if there's any way I can help. I can't tell you how many times that had happened to me. There has been situations when someone mistreated me, and by the grace of God, I resisted the fleshly reaction to get angry. I just said to myself, I'm not touchy, fretful, or resentful because I choose to yield to the love of God. Then, instead of lashing out, I was able to look at that person right in the eye, smile, and speak a blessing instead. As a result, no one was able to steal my joy. Because of love, I was able to go on my way. I have a delightful day. And have a delightful day in the Lord. Amen. That is truly a revelation, what she talks about, to experience someone that you always are trying to get over on with words. Realize that the person is asking to be saved. 
They don't know how to live, and you do. And that's why they're attacking you. They're actually a, a crying for help, and they're hanging in there with all they have to keep their sanity. They are looking for a better way to live. Uh, the best way to do is to pray Psalm 23 for those people. Let's go ahead and do that now. Let's say, The Lord is their shepherd. They shall not want. The Lord makes them lie down in green pastures and leads them besides the still waters. He restores their soul. The Lord leads them in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yes, though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they will fear no evil, for the Lord thy God is with them. His rod and his staff, they comfort them. The Lord has prepared a table for our enemies in front of their enemies for his glory and his honor, for the Lord's honor and glory. Their cup run it over. Surely goodness and mercy and loving kindness shall follow them all the days of their life. And they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. I hope you get my drift. But that's the way you pray for your enemies. And you do it to the... That's where the anger and the resentment is coming from. Wanting to backlash to them. Use that fuel to pray Psalm 23. Use the fuel to bring down a blessing upon them. What the enemy meant for evil, we turn it to good. And then you'll see... How love works miracles. Amen. You'll have compassion for the lost. And they won't throw you off. Remember, the enemy's trying to throw you off. At the same time, we can win his, the people he's using to throw us off. We can win them over or plant seeds. Another way to do it, if you get into a heavy discussion with someone, have the courage to say, I love you and I forgive you. Remember, you're planting a seed, a bomb, right into their hearts. I love you, and, they've, and I'll forgive you. And, you. and I bless you in the name of the Lord. If they're coming at you, trying to ridicule you, you hit them with that, and you put a time bomb inside their stomachs. They're open for, they're waiting for accusation. Those people could be stuck on being shameful. They have... They have to circulate their shame. They have to do situations that will bring shame onto them because they're addicted to shame. So you have to drop in that bomb. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift up his counsel and give you peace. I love you and I forgive you. Go in the name of the Lord. In some reality, put a word of God in them that they never heard before. They always have heard backlash. That's the way they grew up. That's the way they retaliate. And that's they, when they encounter a Christian, and a Christian uses the sword of the Spirit and, and slices them up that way, they'll never be the same again. God's Word works. God's blessings works. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Jesus in us. We are saved. We have... $10 billion, and they're trying to, you know, we just got to let it go. You know, all they have is a few dollars. We just, hey, here, we don't need them. They need us. It's a cry for help, folks.
Amen. One of you has to listen to it, or maybe me myself. Limit is love. Okay, January 31st. Wait a minute, January 30th, excuse me. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the, the rottenness of the bones. Proverbs 14.30 A sound heart is the life to the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. If I'm trying to get over one of my enemy, how best I can attack his, his attacks and counterattack, then that's envy. You know, he's getting their desired results. But a sound heart is like life to the flesh. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. If you give, the Lord loves you and blesses you. I love you and I forgive you. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. If you want to find out more about what love really is, one way to do it is by finding out what love is not. And one thing the scripture clearly says that love isn't envious of others. 1 Corinthians 13.4 If you think envy isn't a problem for you, you better think again. The Bible reveals that envy is a common human condition. It was probably for Cain in the book of Genesis. It was a problem, problem for King Saul during the days of young David. It was a problem for the Jewish in the book of Acts. And unless we guard it, and it, it will be a problem for us too. Envy can be defined simply as a feeling of discontent and ill will because of another's advantages, possessions, or, or successes. Such feelings often sneak up on us without our notice. Or another one's attacks on you and, and, their, and their intelligent mind you coming against your relaxed mind. That's what usually happens. We go to church rejoicing, for example, just thanking God for the blessings. When we drive into the parking lot, however, we see Sister Susie getting out of her new car. Suddenly, we're not rejoicing quite as much. Why on earth did she get a new car? We think. Her old car was better than that one. <laughs> I have now. What's more, I have been standing in faith for a new car, and she hasn't. That happens more than not when we going out with our enemy, and the enemy pulls up with a new car, huh? Those feelings are envious. That's why you have to bless to have an insurance policy that you're good with heaven. Watch out for thoughts like that. They're warning signs of envy. If you keep thinking them, you'll end up unhappy about another's advantage of success. You'll find yourself on that road of envy, and every step on that road is a step away from love. Of course, just because you had an envious thought doesn't mean you have an envy in your heart. Those thoughts are just invitations from the devil and the flesh. They're signals that let you know you're being tempted <clears throat> to go in that direction. So be quick to recognize those envious thoughts and resist them. Give them no place in your heart of your life. Speak words of love instead. Say, say things like, Lord, the supply for it, for my car is not here yet, but it will come. If I should praise you and thank you, it will surely come. Or you say, Lord, I praise you for giving my sister that new car. I rejoice that the blessing is working in her life. Then congratulate Sister Susie. Share in their excitement the way they want her to share in yours. Stay in faith and keep walking in love. Refuse to let envy block the path of the blessing. 
And before long, your new car will be the parking lot, in the parking lot. And Sister Susie will be the one congratulating you. All right, let's move on to our last reading from the 31st. No excuse for envy. In Romans 13, 13 and 14 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Although envy makes its first move on us in subtle, seemingly insignificant ways, we should be aware from the beginning that envy in any form is a major enemy of love. What begins at a slight feeling of irritation or an inferiority that comes when someone has the finances and the finesse to dress more stylish than you, can over time become more full-blown malice, hatred towards that person if you keep yielding to those thoughts and feelings of aggravation. You can love speaking slanderous words against them, defaming their character and truly injuring them, all because you didn't deal with your, your envy about their wardrobe. Even when allowed to fester in the human heart, envy is a terrible thing. It becomes a dynamic force and opens the door to the most ungodly, unloving behavior. Envy was behind the first murder ever committed. Cain envied Abel because the Lord found Abel offering more acceptable than Cain's offering. It's hard to imagine murdering someone because they got a better offering than you. But that's what Cain actually did. That by itself is shocking enough, but the Bible also tells us that the Jewish leaders actually handed Jesus over to for crucifixion for the same reason. They did it because they envy his ministry, Mark 15.10. They envy his power and influence with the people. Why is it important for us to know that? Because it was not watchful. The devil will, if we are not watchful, the devil pressures into acting the same way. He'll subtly introduce envy into our thoughts and into our emotions. He'll even use spiritual things to do it. If we're not aware of any of the assistance of his devices, the devil will have us resenting to fellow believers because he operates in the gift of healings and we don't. He'll have us opposing somebody else's ministry because they're having more success than we are. And no doubt, he'll have us covering it all with spiritual excuses. Let's settle the fact right now that there is no excuse for envy. Let's make up our minds and hearts in advance that we'll make no room for it in our lives. The Bible makes it plain just how serious envy can be by putting it in the very wicked company. It's listed along with murder, fornication, and strife, Romans 1, 28 and 29. So when it rears its ugly head, don't take it lightly. Stomp it out before it takes you out and protect your walk of love. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the work. And Lord, we just thank you for our enemies, Lord. We declare to them, I love you and I forgive you. May the blessings of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. The blessings of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, we cover you. 
in the blood of Jesus Christ that cover you, that you may be saved, sanctified, holy, praising and worshiping the Lord God. We take advantage of this time and we use our choices for good. We choose to bless. We choose to bless as the scripture says. Amen. Because we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God and we bless others. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ, we declare them blessed. Amen and amen. Have a good day, family. Give them heaven.